0: Our first festival event is a stunner. Professor Jacinta Taruru works in the Faculty of Law at the University of Otago and is co-director of Napai Pāi Maramatanga, New Zealand's Māori Centre of Research Excellence. She has produced an extensive and highly acclaimed body of research on Indigenous people's rights, interests and responsibilities to own and care for lands and waters. The work she will be talking about tonight is Ngā Mata Ranga, Māori Scholars at the Research Interface, published this year by Otago University Press. The book collects the stories of leading Māori scholars in the ways that indigenous knowledge shapes and defines their work. Speaking with her are the editors of Takai Atarangatira, Marcus Akuhata-Brown, Renée Smith and Rauri Tapiata. The book grew out of the two-year Ragantahi Leadership Kaupapa, and it shares wisdom garnered from more than 100 interviews that Langatahi conducted with Māori leaders from across Aotearoa, including some from here in Aotearoa. These are both absolutely beautiful books, with great significance and impact. The words and images speak to the many layers of whakapapa, intergenerational learning, tikanga, tupuna wisdom, knowledge and care that have gone into their creation. The books and the broader projects they're part of are taonga, Powerful landmark works. And they invite the question for us what would a decolonised literary world look like? And now to the words, the ideas, the books, the conversations. The 2021 Dunedin Writers and Readers Festival. No reira tenakoto 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 katai.
1: A tenatato katai tuko mihia mihi kia tato e, noko tahi nei. e I ngā kā kahui maungo o kaitahu whanui. No reira, uh, My name is Marcus Akuhata Brown. I hail from the east coast of both islands. So I'll start with this island first, and that I have tribal affiliations to Kati Hudapa uh, and Kati Hudapa ki So Kiaku Funoka and Nuhotahine Tenakoto. I was really a support editor to the Takaia Te Terangatera book, uh, along with uh, Renee and Rawiri. Um, but it's a privilege for us tonight to share the stage with uh, Professor Jacinta Ruru, uh, who also, unbeknownst to us and one another, <laughs> was working. We're, we're working at the same time on these two projects. So, in the wisdom of the festival organisers, they thought it would be a great opportunity to bring us together, so we can have a dialogue. I think our intent was the same. I heard an interesting. Uh, a piece of research last year that 5% of the global mass uh, is currently in Indigenous Care and Protection, or Kaitiakitanga, Uh, but 85% of the world's biodiversity sits inside that 5% that are currently under the custodianship of Indigenous peoples. That points to a value system and a knowledge base and the kind of relationship that Indigenous peoples around the world Have with people and with place. So it was our shared endeavour, not that we coordinated that (laughs) endeavour, to try and understand how we might bring some of that knowledge to a surface, uh, to surface for public discourse that is not often well understood, accessed, and shared. And so we're going to be speaking together uh, from two very different approaches about the work that we've all come here to think about, learn about and share together this evening. And I'm going to start by asking questions to both Jacinta and Rawadi and Renee about the pieces of work that they've helped bring to life. We'll start with you, Professor Rudu, if you can introduce yourself to the room and perhaps talk to uh, your why uh, and uh, for the book and why you felt it was important to bring to life.
2: Yeah, oh, Kia ora koutou, um, so ko Jacinta Ruru ahau, ko me Ngāti Ranganui iwi, enormous honour to be on stage here um alongside you with the incredible book that you've produced, and I think it's a real awesome opportunity to be able to um, talk together um, about the importance of our mātauranga uh, for society and the recognising and valuing of that. So what kind of motivated us in writing this book? Um, well, one of the motivators was in, in the new appointment of Juliet Gerard, Dame Juliet Gerard now to the Prime Minister's Chief Science Advisor back a, back a couple of years ago. And in that role, as our Chief Science Advisor in the country, she said that she wanted to recognise Mā She wanted to talk about bringing our scientists our Pākehā scientists to this interface um, with Mā Todonga. And so that made us really reflect that we wish to find ways to celebrate our Māori academic scholars who are working in the colonial institutions of tertiary um, institutions to talk about their experiences um, of of studying, of researching, and how they were valued or not in the tertiary context. And so that really motivated us. Um, And so we had this honour of choosing uh, and working with 24 Māori scholars across the country. We kind of say it's the A to Z, so from anthropology to zoology, and many different disciplines um, in amongst there, where Māori are succeeding in the tertiary context. Um, Māori are winning national awards, international awards, but many of those Māori academics are um, feeling an overwhelming sense of hurt mostly in working in those tertiary institutions and that we need to do a lot more to find ways to recognise the strength of our Māori knowledge, the the tertiary institutions need to do a lot more to recognise these amazing Māori researchers that are part of their departments. And so I think, like, we introduced the book and I talk about my own experience. And and So we've asked the 24 Māori scholars to talk about um, how they came to university. And they each, like all of us, talk about this... um, Kind of this roller coaster of emotions, I suppose, like growing up with this deep sense of curiosity, and many of us growing up um, with not a lot of material wealth. um most many of us talk about like they may not have no car, um, no television, but many of us had books. there may not be many books, but there were books in the home. And so there was a deep curiosity. Um, to find out more. And then all of us sort of found ourselves at university and it was never really deliberate in any way. We were often the first in the family, first in whānau to go to university. And then this falling in love with the discipline, like we've got crucial Wataniti, she's a professor in philosophy, like this deep falling in love with the actual discipline itself, or Alice, um, Te Punga Somerville, this falling in love with English. Um, And getting and and advancing into like PhD studies. Um, So, really excelling within that discipline, but then coming to this real sense of hurt, and our Māori academics feeling um, that there's no place for them to work in this tertiary institution where they have studied for many years. Um, And so, you have, for example, Maramamuru landing in here studying anthropology and then finding that there was no place for her in the anthropology department to work as a staff member um, so she'll talk about no sense of generosity or no sense of ho. You have Alice talking about an Engle- in the English department about how it just absolutely broke her heart um, you've got Ocean Mercia who um, mm. has, has a you know physics PhD in physics Um, But the physics department doesn't want her. You know, there's no place for her in the physics field. So many of our Māori academics are working in Māori studies departments. And we want and wish for really flourishing Uh, Māori Studies departments, but we also really wish for the flourishing of mātauranga across all of our disciplines. And we know that each and every one of us can bring that to our disciplines um, if those doors were opened. And so this book was really... um, the celebration of our own success um, but all, and the, the real success of Māori within academia and within the research sector of Aotearoa, but also trying to shine that light on um, the, the opportunities. And if Juliet Gerard, as our Chief Science um, Advisor to the Prime Minister, is really serious about valuing mā tauronga, we really need to think about how um, our tertiary sector, that highest place of learning, is valuing mātauranga. How are we preparing our graduates, all of our graduates, whatever discipline they're going into, how are we preparing them to really value this world in Aotearoa that is going to hopefully make this bridge over into the enormous mātauranga that we know sits um, within our Māori world. And it is there for, for us to really meet many of the... crises that we're facing today in terms of climate change, biodiversity crisis, um, the whole inequity, the wellness of our society. There's so many Māori solutions and if we open our hearts and minds uh, to that, we'll see all this incredible um, rich knowledge that sits within our mā tauranga and I think your book really beautifully speaks to that as well.
1: I guess as I was listening to your response, I was thinking that institutions, tertiary institutions, like universities, are built upon a particular way of valuing knowledge and understanding. So there's a system that privileges a particular form of learning style, Um, and that's a bigger and broader discussion about the inequities that we experience not only in the education system, but in the health system. And so there's some fundamental questions that this book brings to light about the institutions, which is one of the things that fueled the project Te Kaia Te and the way in which it was created, because it wouldn't have been valued or brought to life if we had gone through the classic uh, Western methodologies, inaccessible. To groups of young people in their quest to gain understanding, and often universities are about individual attainment. Uh, the approach for Takaya Terangatira was about collective understanding. So I'm just going to thread that and hand it over to my my colleagues to talk about uh, your why, our why,
3: for bringing a book like Takaya Terangatira to the world. So kia ora everybody, my name is Rawiri Tapiata, I'm born in Britain, Palmerston, North, and um, was brought up under the kaitiakitanga, I suppose, of uh, Ngāti Rangitāne was quite fortunate to be able to go to university. I didn't know what I wanted to study, but sort of had a sense that that was the way I wanted to keep on growing in terms of um, yeah, development and um, studied here at Otago for four years for my undergrad in physical education. Became a teacher uh, back in Rotorua, so that's where my home is, um, and just really love uh, working with rangatahi and young people and Absolutely believe in the potential for them to do amazing things in their lives, Um, and that led to uh, um, an exploration about what is the best contribution I can make. uh, One life to live. How do I want to make the most of my time? And so, uh, was quite um, dissatisfied with uh, how Maori um, are often portrayed, and so was quite keen to explore. Positive ways in which people understand the value that Maori bring, be it through skills or talent or and knowledge. Over the last decade, now we've been trying to explore the wisdom of our tupuna, of our ancestors, and to understand uh, through their uh, practices and tikanga and kawa and karakia, to parapara waiata, etc. Uh, what is in that deep uh, knowledge base that we can draw from to help develop uh, young people. Four years ago, I think, um, we were in a car ride in Tiho Wepu, in the back there, Tiho um said that he had been exploring some writings by a guy called Terangi Kaheke, who in the 1850s wrote about what effective Māori leadership looked like. And in there were things like the seven attributes of an effective Māori leader, was someone who could uh, cultivate kai, uh, they could resolve conflict. And uh, shelter the people, and a few other things. And we we're, uh, you know, thinking, oh, you know, can we remodernize that in a contemporary context? Um, and then someone piped up and said, oh, those are those are cool, but I wonder what someone like Tadiana Tudia might say about what effective Māori leadership looks like in this day and age. And then someone else said, yeah, too. I'm sure um, Derek Lardelli, artist from um, the East Coast, he'd have some amazing insights. <laughs> And then the penny dropped and we thought, actually, why don't we interview a <laughs> hundred? <laughs> Maori <laughs> Just two to a hundred real quick. Um and just to listen and understand and um try and utilize that Ma Toudanga to imbue and share with um the, the younger generation. So yeah, we undertook the journey and um volunteered to interview a hundred and twelve people over a, f- a few years and yeah the book Takaya Te Terangatira was the first of um yeah sort of some of the products for want of a better word uh that yeah we um we produce to to share some of those insights from people who have charted the course themselves, so we wanted to make sure we we were talking with people who have actually, you know, done some hard yards themselves, so we interviewed people 40 years and older, from artists to academics uh, like Linda Tuhiwai-Smith, to community workers, marae, um, wharekai workers, uh, social workers, um, politicians, so uh, a wide range of people, so that's a brief context on the kaupapa, and um, yeah, that's that's I suppose the main thing that brings us here um, tonight. So, kia ora.
4: order ora tato, he udi nati minati kahunganu, korane smith toku ingawa. Firstly, Jacinta, it's, yeah, it's a real privilege, I think, for us to be on the same stage as you. I went to uh, university at Waikato, study, studied anthropology, and um, Not dissimilar to what you were saying earlier, I also had lots of questions around, um, oh, what's that? (laughs) Mm. Why are you going to study that? Where would you study that? How is that useful Um, and whatnot? Um, But also, more recently, um, uh, a couple of the roles that I've held, um, Director of the Waitangi Tribunal, Director of the Māori Land Court and now um, Director of the... Um Chief district court judges chambers and so I follow your work so um it's a long way of me saying um just thank you for all of your not only this mahi um but all of your contribution to um, academia just in addition to my mate already here um I think what's really inspiring about takayata te Tangata te papa is that um as Marcus said it's it's the collective kind of nature of it some of the interviews lasted from 30 minutes right through to Three, three and a bit hours.
0: Mm. So
4: um, there's definitely more to come. Watch this space. Just a couple of things I think that I draw on from the wisdom of others that shared through some of the kai So um, Miriana Stevens um, in the book talks about how her grandparents um, instilled in her the saying, if, if service is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. Love that one. Mm-hmm. The other one that um, I often reflect upon, just in the overwhelming state that I find myself in through trying to, um, you know, nourish relationships, be good at my mahi, try and do all sorts of other copapa, and put my hands up for lots of things. Kind of um, Ed- Edward, Alison, talks about in his um, kōrero, uh, your reward for your... Current challenge is your next challenge. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. That's a much more eloquent way of saying what I used to say in my head, which was, "Man, you must be a sucker for punishment." But um, yeah. Anyway, Tenakoto, two cents worth.
1: Thank you, and I, I, I can't overemphasize enough the, the, the privilege that we had of being able to access the knowledge keepers uh, and engage with them through a process of collective endeavour. And when we talk to them about we are seeking to write a book on leadership, 99% of them uh, said, well, I'm not a leader. Leadership is not about I. It's about we. The one person, well, he comes from my tribe, so I can talk, talk about it. No, I'll leave him to the side. but um, <laughs> This idea of collective endeavour, collective reward, collective effort is just woven in time and time and time again in the narratives of the people that we saw uh, and interviewed, which then continue to enforce the approach that this is an us piece of work, not an I piece of work. And that's a really interesting process when you're dealing with publishers and who, who gets credit for the piece of work? How does, do we uh, acknowledge funders and relate? It was a really interesting exercise and again plays into the idea of what is privileged and how do our institutions that recognize that privilege uh, start to think critically about different approaches? And we would argue about uh, Indigenous or Māori approaches um so today then just uh, just into another question for you to respond to uh, i think people pull together material like this with an with an audience in mind so i would like to for you to uh, think uh, to comment on when you were pulling this body of work together in mataranga who was the audience that you were writing the work for
2: yeah, kia ora, So, um I think we had really two audiences here. We had one was our Martifano, like we really wanted to speak to Māori whānau, um to say that you know to tell a real story of celebration, like Mardi are succeeding in that university sector. Mardi can dream to do whatever they wish to do um, in any discipline and can succeed there. So it was a real and that we want you to come to university um that so there was a real a real story of pride, I suppose, and who we are as Mardi. Um, and that was a really important part of the audience. The other audience, though, is to our leaders across Aotearoa, New Zealand, and particularly to those tertiary institution leaders, and to call for that decolonisation. So when you talk about that um, collective, that that importance of being the collective rather than the individual, um, we need our tertiary institutions, we need Aotearoa, New Zealand leaders to really understand that. Mm. And then when you look at this, just this Story of twenty-four, those Māori who are not in Māori studies, so are out there in the in the disciplines, kinda of like in the Wild West really. <laughs> and I'll talk about my own experience, 20 years on my own in the law faculty as Māori. Um we're not enabled to work together in a collective way. We um, And we all talk about being lonely, isolated. Um, we talk about our study, like when you were studying, did you have any Mardi teaching you? And if you did, it was probably one or two that came across you. And that's still happening today. We're having our students coming into the tertiary sector and not being taught by Māori, Um They could go through their whole degree and um, not read any mardi authored work. So they're not, when Māori work's not being prioritized in the curriculum um they're not they're not hearing maori ideas um you know these are really critical issues for us as a country um and so we're, we're calling for an and and like we we wish for and we you know we all first fell in love with i suppose you know these western theories and so on so you know that's we still want that. We need that um, as part of our tertiary institutions for our country. But we also need to be equally valuing those that our Māori knowledge and our Indigenous knowledges. And so we are really calling um, for that decolonisation. And so, um, for myself working in the law field, we're calling for the indigenisation of the law degree. And so, what that might look like, what we're calling for is a um, that. T- Teaching and knowing law um, from a bicultural way, a bilingual way, and a bicultural way. And our hope and aspiration is that our students coming into the study of law will know that there are two legal systems operating in Aotearoa, And there's the Māori legal system that's been operating for hundreds and hundreds of years and continues to operate. And then there's our state legal system. And we've got to find ways um, for those two legal systems to talk to one another. And our judiciary. Um, And our lawyers are already um, having those conversations, but we're not necessarily having those conversations in how we are teaching our students law. Um, So, you know, there's there's so much, I think everyone in here, like we talk, we've got so much excitement and so much hope and so much generosity in terms of what we're giving. Um, But... (coughs) Look, it is really difficult, and if you just need to have a look at some of the statistics yeah. to see that, Māori are sitting at a stable 5%, static 5% um, as staff in the universities. Many of those 5%, if you have a look at it, are um, they might be on what we call soft money, so they don't have guaranteed positions, they're um, they're reliant on bringing in research, they're at the lower um, entry-level positions, and... Um, And another statistic, I think, if you just start to unpick where where Māori are placed within the university sector, there's only three Māori across the whole university, eight universities, so across all the universities in New Zealand, who are at an HOD, so a head of department or leadership level of a discipline that's not Māori studies. So what this is saying is that Māori can lead Māori, Māori can't have any leadership roles within our tertiary sector, um, uh, uh, you know, that, that's not a discipline of Māori. Um, and so we're hitting so many, we talk about this glass ceiling, we're talking about it as being the concrete ceiling, <laughs> it's impossible to push through and it's not, we've, but this is weird because we've got Māori who are highly successful with international acclaim. Um, we've got over 800 Māori with PhDs in recent years, so we often get told Māori need to do more. Actually, no, Māori don't need to do anything more. Um, We're already showing that we can succeed in this tertiary, colonial, uh, you know, context the con- the colonial context structures themselves actually need to change and that's where the onus needs to lie and I hope in a really positive way that this book helps to do that and it was really purposeful that we wanted to create you know a really beautiful book mm. you know like I mean we had we've got a portrait photographer um, Grant Maiden who weaned her along and you know photographed people in just the most gorgeous locations and if I can maybe show like I love this one with like Ocean Mercia in the kitchen with her mum this kitchen where she where she grew up and then there's um, really awesome Jane Kitson uh, down in Invercargill there in her wetsuit and the next page shows her with her her kids and so on. So it was really important that we... um you know, developed the book that we're really, really proud of and that we wrapped around it in a way that made sense to us. And so we had Heramahina Ekotoni, who lives here in Otapoti, but from Maniapoto. Um, she's the most incredible artist. And she she drew a beautiful piece of artwork for each one of us. And that graces... Each of our chapters, and that we so it helps us land with our own ma to tell our stories. And so, we're really privileged to work with an incredible portrait photographer and an artist. So, yeah, kia ora.
1: Kia, ora. kia ora. And uh, just to ask
3: that question of you both who was
1: in mind for the book? Te Kaia
3: Te I think primary audience was probably rangatahi. To young people, um, just a fully fledged commitment to wanting to support them um, for, for multiple reasons. But um, one thing is, you know, there's a, an openness there to thinking about things in, a, in different ways, to be challenged, to be encouraged, to be, you know, uh, consider a range of things. Um, but yeah, wider than that um, was Māori communities as a whole and also um, communities all around the country in general. Um, and thinking that, as yeah, you were talking about, Jacinta, there's a, a particular type of knowledge that's been privileged the last 180 or so years, but there's this whole massive um, richness of mātauranga Māori um, that is still, you know, just under the surface and the more we can draw that, the better everyone will be, I think. But also, um, lastly, on the audience, other Indigenous communities around the... The world as well was um, another one of the people that hopefully we'll be able to draw some value from it.
4: My my only thought was um, how beautiful the photos are, and um, there's a couple of people that are overlapping in, in both Pogo, which is really awesome. But um, imagine a Aotearoa New Zealand, where Maori didn't need to put these books together because it was it's just just a, a way of way of being.
1: You know, some of the people that we sought to interview, people like Professor Wharehuia Milroy, uh, who passed away shortly after, Um, I I think we had the privilege of getting his last interview, Dr Rose Pire. They don't give interviews to anybody. (laughs) And so they were interrogating us as to what is our why. And one of the reasons why they agreed to be interviewed uh, was one, it was a voluntary copapa. two, it was driven by rangatahi, and thirdly, it was a gift back into the communities. And so there was no uh, commercial driver, so all of the profits, uh, if we generate any, from the sale of the book goes directly back into rangatahi development. Uh, and so many of them have said no to other forms of uh, sharing knowledge like television productions and so on and so forth because they saw that this had a Kopapa element to it, that it was bigger than us. It was bigger than them. It was about a purpose that uh, acknowledged those who have gone before us and is for uh, and is not only for those that are here but for those who are yet to come. And I think that's a value system that's not often found or difficult to find inside uh, institutions. Pro- just, just, um, we're going to open up the floor now uh, for some interaction and some questions and answers from the floor.
0: Kia ora koutou. Um, you said the the rangatira is for rangatahi, first off. Is the printed form still relevant to them? How, the, how are they responding to having a booker booker? <laughs>
1: That's a really good question. In fact, some of the partners were sort of asking why do we go down uh, the printed form of bringing some of that knowledge to life? Um, I think one of the answers is that rangatahi don't exist in a void. They sit inside a context, a Fano context. There's a level of permanence about placing inside a whānau hmm. a book that's written with them in mind that have images of their tipuna that is reflective of their potential. And so, when non-Maori have asked us that question, I, I, I wonder if they really understand uh, the Maori mind, because if you look in our nui for example, there's photos of all of those who have gone before us that are valued as living uh, embodiments and a repository of collective knowledge that informs the way we understand our place in the world. We wanted to bring a piece of that into the home, is is one response. The uptake from it, I guess uh, maybe that's reflected in sales uh, from the book, uh, and some of the feedback that we get from Rangatahi when they start to interact Mm. with the book, which has been for us quite overwhelming. The other thing too is we we didn't want price to be a barrier uh, to young people, so we have ways of bringing that content uh, to young people uh, through digital platforms also. So we have a website called Te, Te that all of the interviews were filmed digitally. I would argue that we're probably sitting on one of the largest repositories of Indigenous knowledge in the world. And what's in the book is only 5%, if that, of the content. And so uh, in partnership with Rangatahi, we are working through Ways in which they might want to bring that, the remainder of that content to life. So the book was, the book idea was
3: done in partnership with them, not for them. Another quick, quick thing on to add to that is I think there's a thinking flaw in the older generations, probably I'm getting into that, <laughs> age now, but um, <laughs> that, that Rangatahi don't like reading. But actually, I think, um, from my experience, that it's more to do with the fact that very little reading uh, text and content is created uh, in a way mm. for them to consume. And, you know, we had a 15-year-old in our team, uh, Nayanga, who put his hand up to transcribe the interviews. So I think the thing should be more around how can we create meaningful content for rangatahi.
0: Mm.
3: Is... Is it or was it contentious at all um, in talking to
4: your older kuia and Komatu'a to record their knowledge in this way and that it wouldn't normally have been done this way in the past?
1: Uh, No, not really. Uh, I think that um, the the passport, if you like, uh, that gave us consent to traverse that conversation was the relationship that was established between those who were interviewing and those who were sharing the knowledge and the purpose through which the knowledge was being uh, harvested or collected for. Now, that's not a new concept. That concept uh, has existed for thousands of years in Te Ao Māori. You just see it in different forms, like whakaero and waiata and pūrakau. And so, uh, yeah, I think... And 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 Rawiri over here was in a hundred percent of the interviews, and so he could probably speak to, you know, some of the interesting conversations around that. Uh, we we had people said, oh, and, and the other thing is too is uh, they are action oriented people. Many of them talked about you don't need blisters on your lips, uh, you need blisters on your hands, <laughs> and I've seen over the last uh, decade because the Maori community is connected. The kind of work that this group of young people have been doing in service of their communities. So it was a transference to to our social system that they trusted, and that's another that they trusted us with the integrity of their knowledge, and that's a huge responsibility that I think we collectively share. It's not it's not it's owned it's not owned by any one of us. It's owned by them and the communities. Yeah.
0: Kia um, ora. Jacinta, do you feel that you have had a response from the organisations that you would like to be reaching with your book?
2: Mm, that's a quite a political question. Um, <laughs> have we had a response? Look, I think every look, I think people have been really um, interested in the book. I think there's been great engagement across the country in it. I think... Um, but in terms of have we had a response, I haven't had a, um, I don't think, any of us as authors or as the co-editors, Linda, Nikoda and myself, uh, no vice-chancellors or pro-vice-chancellors um, have called us up to talk about the book. Um, we've been making a bit of fuss around the issues in the book and been doing it, we've been really lucky to have been able to do a lot of media and a lot of interviews. It's come on the back of an enormous amount of other very public research that is coming out that's calling out the situation from a Māori perspective in the tertiary context um, over the last 12 months, including what happened at Waikato with the um, the review there. We believe that there's some really good levers There's a whole new Education and Training Act of 2020. There's a whole new Education Act and a whole new tertiary education strategy that all came into force in November last year. So it's very new. Those those levers at that level are strongly about our whole education sector, recognising te reo, tikanga and mātauranga. So there are much stronger levers there. I'm not aware, and I know I've got some Māori colleagues in the um, audience here, I'm not aware of us as Māori, Ma- if anyone's come and talked to us as, as, as Māori academics around, <laughs> I know everyone's shaking their head. Um, no, no, I, I, yeah, this is very interesting. <laughs> Māori are very isolated as staff members within the university yeah. sector, Um and And I would say that probably too, about our Pacifica and um mm-hmm. our colleagues as well um, yeah, and i but I think we are look, we are really hopeful for change, and I think all of us talk about that. That real power and intergenerational change, and that we, and I think a lot of your interviews really pick up on that too. That I think it was that Moana Jackson
4: mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, commented that if he had a, in your book, if, if he could say something back to himself when he was twenty, oh, yeah. that that you'll know that change will happen, mm-hmm. and that there is this over the arc of time, change happens, and then we hope that books like this um, help add to a momentum. Um, for a better education sector system for us as a country where we value all knowledge. So, kia ora.
1: Well, uh, thank you very much for for attending this evening and for giving us the opportunity to share uh, with you all a little bit about the journey that we've been on. And as we've been talking about Indigenous knowledge, uh, not just knowledge, but systems of knowledge and how those systems can help uh, bring new understanding to bear, in a way that has benefit for us all, I think that's a that's a really interesting uh, thought that leads us into what kind of nation do we should we become, and what's our shared responsibility in progressing towards that vision. I'm reminded by a story that uh, Justice Joe Williams shared one year uh, in quoting Jared Diamond, uh, a world famous anthropologist, who asked of his audience this question in the history of mankind, in your opinion, what is the greatest achievement by a people group? Uh, He argued there's a lot of contenders for that. Was it the uh, uh, building of the pyramids by the Egyptians or the Great Wall of China or uh, the man on the moon? Um, And he said, in his opinion, the greatest achievement in the history of mankind was the navigation of the South Pacific by the Polynesian peoples, he said it was like trying to find a speck of dust on an eye of a needle, and a haystack, and a paddock full of haystacks. So the intellect, the intelligence, the learning systems, the disciplines uh, that led our ancestors to traverse one third of the global land mass or or uh, world mass to find not not one rock was unknown in the South Pacific Ocean. And I think it's time once more for that knowledge system that was used by our ancestors to navigate the South Pacific Ocean to help us once more as a country navigate our way to a better place. We all, Māori mai, Pākehā mai, all have a responsibility uh, to enable that knowledge uh, to nourish and nurture who we are as a country, and what our collective contribution might be to the world. Lord, no aidakoi tama, tena koi to, tena koi to, tena tata katoa. Te rapeka, ritera koe, kariki afa ka a koe, etera kati ra o kati hui a piki. Kipuki te rakhi, te pito o te a, te upu hoka wika.